realized that my voice would be that loud next to that speaker. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's so nice to see everyone's faces. Um, my name is Gracelyn, if you haven't met me, and I've been going here since, I guess, July of last year, or moved here last year, and this has been such a safe and sacred place, and so it's a privilege to read in Acts 8 with you this morning. So if you're willing and able, if you could stand, that would be wonderful. So we're going to start Acts 8, 26. I'll give everybody kind of a second to, to flip. Awesome. Um, so the conversion of the Ethiopian official. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You say, thanks be to God, the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, I just want every single heart in this room um, to meditate on your sovereignty. Because you are powerful. You are in control of everything. And it's so much better that you're in control. And God, you are good, Father. Regardless of what happens, what we see is such a limited perspective and view of you and who you are and, and what the future looks like. So I just pray that this week and the rest of our lives that we would hold on to your sovereignty so tight and that ultimately it would give us hope because there's such beauty in who you are and the way that you care for us and protect us and hold us. And I pray that as we grasp your sovereignty and with our, humans mind, our human minds the best that we can grasp it, that you would fill us with peace and hope that surpasses all understanding and ultimately great joy that as we face trial and tribulation time after time, that we would not let go of hope that can be found in how sovereign you are. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for David. I pray that you would bless him. Speak through him. Let all things that are from you rest on our hearts and our minds. And anything that's not from you, would it flee and not stay here? And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good grief. I tell you, the way we have um, worshiped this morning... I have a decent mind to just kind of close us out with a word of prayer. <laughs> that laughter was a bit too enthusiastic, but I get where it's coming from. A um, couple of things I want to address real quick. A couple of things that we normally do on this Sunday that we have not done this morning. Normally, we do have a time where we worship through giving. We pass offering plates. We have not done that, but you will notice um, next to our exits, we have brand spanking new offering boxes. If you came today prepared to give, please, you can just leave your tithes and offerings in those boxes as you leave. The second thing that we normally do on Palm Sunday morning 
is receive communion together as a church body. We're not doing that this morning because we're actually going to be doing that together tonight. Um, if you look at your calendar, the calendar has continued to move on and, and it has turned over to April. This is the first Sunday of the month and the first Sunday of every month. In the evening, we gather around the table just down the hall here in the commons. Everybody brings something to share. We throw it all in the middle. We make a meal out of it. It's a time of fellowship. It's a time of conversation. It's a time of community. It's a time of prayer. It's a time of devotion. And tonight, Alec will be leading us through the first several days of Holy Week, walking in Jesus' footsteps, preparing our hearts and our spirits for what this week holds. And then Mary will lead us in a time of communion, 6 p.m. to 7.30. I would love for you to join us this evening. Thursday, we will celebrate communion again as we do our annual Maundy Thursday communion service. It is a beautiful time of gathering and reflection as we gather together as a church family and and bring ourselves spiritually into that room with Jesus and his closest friends and followers as they experience that final Passover meal together in, in the moments just before he was betrayed, arrested, tortured, and executed. Do that at 7 p.m. The sun is setting through those windows. I would love for you to come and celebrate communion this Thursday night with your church family. We are continuing this week walking through the book of Acts. That story that Luke wrote for us. God wrote for us through the hands of Luke a couple thousand years ago the story of the growth of the early church, the spread of the gospel, the story of what happens when God's people are filled with God's spirit. This morning we arrive in that passage that Graceland read for us, Acts chapter 8. There's a great deal of significance with this passage as, as Philip encounters this Ethiopian eunuch on that desert road, it's the first time that we see described in the scripture the gospel spread person to person as opposed to person to people. Like if you recall, all the way through the first seven chapters, each time we see the gospel begin to spread, it's, it's Peter or it's John or it's Philip or it's Stephen and they're standing in front of crowds and they're preaching these bold, powerful sermons and people are coming to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. This is the first time we see those conversations happening on an individual, one-on-one, life-on-life, heart-on-heart situation. And it truly is profound. We see some super scary verses in this passage in uh, chapter 8, as, as we look at Philip listening to the Holy Spirit, they're, they're in verse 27, starting in verse 26, excuse me, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is the desert road. And then there, that terrifying verse 27, 
So he got up and went. Like, there's got to be something in between those two, right? There's got to be this conversation and, and all of these reasons that now wasn't the time. Like, Stephen has just been stoned. God, this is <laughs> it's not the time to be out in these streets preaching the gospel. I'm just going to sit right here. Or, God, don't you know I'm a deacon? Like, they just, they just elected me. Remember the widows, they're not getting their food. I've already got my job. This ain't it. Or, or, or God, you know Peter. Like this is tailor-made for Peter. I will give you his number if you've lost his contact information. This isn't me. No, the Holy Spirit whispered into his ear because he had an intimacy with the Spirit. He knew the sound of God's voice. The Holy Spirit said go, and he got up, and he went. Then as the story unfolds and he finds kind of this bizarre scene of this entire entourage in the middle of nowhere with this Ethiopian official in, in the chariot and he's reading, he's reading the Torah and Philip goes and starts this conversation with them and they have this beautiful exchange. And then you have that terrifying verse, verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Like, I love that picture of taking the scripture and opening it up and finding this person where they are and saying, from where you are, this is how it points to Jesus. That's terrifying because we all look at that and say, I can't do that. I can't go to Isaiah chapter 53 and lead you to Jesus. I don't know enough about the scripture. Intimacy with God's word, biblical fluency, or lack thereof, lack of fluency in the scripture, ignorance of the scripture. Hear me say this this morning that is an excuse that has a shelf life. That is an excuse that has an expiration date. Eventually, that's no longer an excuse and it becomes a confession. I've been sitting in these pews all my life. I've been sitting in Sunday school. I've been sitting in small group. My Bible has been sitting on my shelf. Don't let that be an excuse any longer. Also, when you read that terrifying passage of Philip coming alongside this Ethiopian official and, and walking him from Isaiah 53 to Jesus as the Messiah, and you think, I can't do that because there are things in this book that I don't understand. Spoiler alert. There are things in this book that none of us understand. Just because I stand up here in front of you most Sunday mornings does not mean I don't have questions about God's word. Does not mean that I get it all. And it does not absolve me from entering into these spaces because I have questions. We walk in those questions together. 
The story of Philip is beautiful and powerful and convicting. But it's not the story we're going to talk about this morning. You see, all week long as I've, as I've read Acts chapter 8, as I've prayed over this passage, as I've written all these notes about what Philip did and, and how that teaches us and what we could do and the individual one-on-one discipleship, the Lord has been just whispering, just kind of tapping me on my shoulder. There's somebody else in this story, he keeps saying. And he's not a prop. There's somebody else in this story, and I didn't put him in there just to add color to Philip's story. I didn't put him in there just so you'd have some fun stuff to research. This story is about a man that rode thousands of miles in a chariot seeking me. We know more about this Ethiopian eunuch than most of us care to admit. First of all, when you think of Ethiopia, at least in the ancient Near East, don't think of the borders of modern-day Ethiopia. What they would refer to as Ethiopia is kind of this vast, almost mythical African kingdom. It spread from from Sudan through modern-day Ethiopia, probably all the way down to Somalia. It was kind of euphemistically known as the end of the world. Thousands of miles from Jerusalem. We know this man was a eunuch. There are many ways in that day that people come to become eunuchs. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 19. Some are born that way, he says. Some are, are made that way by other men. Some decide to do that. We don't exactly know how he came to be a eunuch. We do know why. Because he was a high official in the court of the queen in the kingdom of Ethiopia. And it was very common in those days for someone in that position to either be chosen as a young child and rendered a eunuch or to make that decision themselves. There are lots of reasons for that. They were considered um, safer. They were also considered more loyal because of all the things they would have to give up. No longer can you have a family. No longer can you have a lineage. Your name will not be carried on. You have given everything for the kingdom. That was this man. He was wealthy. You didn't have a chariot unless you were wealthy. Like, very wealthy. He was powerful. A high official in the high court. He was educated. We know that simply the fact that he was reading, which was still incredibly rare at the time. We even know what he was reading. If you continue a little past what Graceland read for us this morning, we see the passage that he was reading out loud. It comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. If you're not familiar with the book of Isaiah, Old Testament uh, prophetic book, often called the fifth gospel because it is rich, dripping with messianic prophecies and references to the coming Messiah. Chapter 53, where this man was reading, it's in a section about the suffering servant. 
the Messiah as the suffering servant. And as Philip and this Ethiopian engage in a conversation, you can almost sense the desperation. Philip says, do, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, I, I don't understand it. Who is this passage talking about? Who is the suffering servant? I need to know you can sense the desperation in his voice. He had traveled for weeks one way. An incredibly expensive, long, arduous journey, desperately seeking the answer to this question, who is this suffering servant? I don't know what scriptures this man had access to in Ethiopia. We know he had the scroll of Isaiah. We know he was desperately seeking answers in it which means I have no doubt. At some point, this Ethiopian eunuch had read this passage, Isaiah chapter 56, starting in verse 3. The Lord says, No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from his people, and the eunuch should not say, Look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all Nations. This man was wealthy, yes. This man was influential, yes. This man was still other. This man was still looked upon, even in his own culture, as different than. Potentially as less than. He was labeled by all the things he couldn't have, all the things that he had either given up or had been taken from him by the decisions he made or the decisions that were made for him. Wealthy, influential, still an outsider. And can you imagine coming across this passage that called him by name? And he says, there is a God that loves me despite all of this. There is a God that calls me by name. There is a God that has a place for me. I need to know that God, he rode for weeks to worship in Jerusalem, and do you know what happened to him when he got there? He was turned away. You see, Jewish law at the time said a eunuch couldn't enter the temple. Jewish law at the time said you're not worthy to be in here to worship with us. When Philip says, do you understand, 
Of course he doesn't understand. How could this God described in Isaiah 53, how could this God described in Isaiah 56 not let me into his house of worship? He travels for weeks desperately seeking God and he is turned away by religion. This week, that's what this story is about. And then there was Philip in the middle of nowhere willing to sit down, willing to have conversations, willing to walk with him in this journey. There are eight pastors in our family of churches. Once a year, we get together and sequester ourselves for several days. We talk and we pray. We seek wisdom. We make fun of each other. And we do not leave until we have largely planned all of the sermons we are going to preach for the following year. Last May, I sat in a room and read that Acts 8 was going to be the sermon I was going to preach on Palm Sunday, and it is not a very Palm Sunday-ish sermon. Last May, God knew. And this passage is God-ordained because, sisters and brothers, there are people in this community, there are people in these pews, there's one person on this stage that has questions. And we are called to walk in those together. If you read Acts chapter 8 and you look at that Ethiopian eunuch and you say, that's me. Hear me encourage you this morning. Don't stop asking questions. He didn't get to the temple and turned away and said, this is terrible. I don't ever want to be associated with these people. He didn't rip that scroll up. He kept reading. He kept searching. He knew God was there. He didn't know where to find them. Don't stop searching. You have found your place, yourself in a safe place this morning. It would be our honor and privilege to walk with you in those questions. It would be our honor and our privilege to walk with you through the scripture, to continue to pray with you and to love you and to come alongside you. Let us do that. As Charlie and her team come back to lead us in, in one more song of worship, I want you to know that our time of prayer, our time of reflection is not over. If you need someone to pray with this morning, if you have questions that are unanswered, if you need someone to just hug you and cry with you, we're here. Come find Mary, come find Alec, come find Nick, come find Madison, come find me, I'll be sitting right there. Look to the person next to you. We see you, 
and we love you, and you're not by yourself. Would you pray with me? God, I have no idea the courage and the discipline and the desperation it takes to travel for weeks hoping to find someone that knows you. Whoever is in this room, whoever is watching online, whoever is in the streets that surround this building that is in that place, give them the courage to continue to ask the questions and give us the opportunity to come alongside them. This week has been a stark reminder that I don't have all the answers. In fact, I have very few. But it's also been a reminder that I serve an all-powerful, omnipresent, all-loving God, and you are here amongst us. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.